Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Bill Gardner has a doctorate in literature and philosophy from Stanford University. He's a conservative author. Uh, the first book I ever talked with Mr. Gardner about, Professor Gardner about, was uh, The Trouble with Canada, and that would go back, I would think, to the early 90s. We had conversations uh, on air with uh, with Bill then, and uh, he's also written, of course, The Trouble with Democracy and The Great Divide, Why Liberals and Conservatives Will Never, Ever Agree. He's also a former Canadian Olympic decathlete. So what haven't you done? Hi, Roy. Hi, Bill. It's good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, too. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. So, so our first conversations were when you wrote The Trouble with Canada. Yes. And, and here we are, some 25 or so years later. You've written many books since, including The Great Divide. And we're limping toward the 21st of October, arguably, in the federal election. And Canada certainly has troubles now with premiers, as I just mentioned, talking openly about a constitutional crisis developing and Canada's unity uh, being perhaps at risk. So let's start with this, please. Um, is this country at risk internally? Well, I don't think it's more risk now than it was, say, when Quebec was carrying on with all its uh, separatism shenanigans, which have gone, you know, a little quiet uh, since then. At that time, I wrote a book called Constitutional Crack-Up, Canada and the Coming Showdown with, the, with Quebec. And I guess we had the showdown, and they sort of backed away from the whole separatism issue. And then the Supreme Court came out and basically announced to the whole country something which I had said in the book, which is that a unilateral declaration of independence is not possible in Canada. Like, it's not going to happen. It's not legal. But, you know. So I think, to some extent, what we're seeing in the West is... Uh, is um, appropriate griping from the mistreatment that they have received at the hands of Trudeau's uh, government, which is spooky when you think about what his father did to the West. Exactly. With his national energy program. I mean, resources in Canada, like what's in the ground and all that, um, are the, uh, you know, it's the duty of the provinces under our constitutional setup to, to manage those things. But... You can't really say that an Albertan, for example, owns the oil on the ground, because if he owns it on Friday and he moves to Saskatchewan or Ontario on Monday, what does he own? You know, uh, so it's a question of who manages these resources, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, the federal government has the leg up, has the leg up on the provinces in terms of, uh, you know, forcing them or uh, price-fixing to benefit other parts of the country, which is what Trudeau Sr. did with oil prices and, you know, sent Alberta into a spin. Uh, the question you started with was, you know, I think, uh, are we looking at a motive for separatist agitation in the West? Well, I think there's always been some motives for separatist agitation in the West. Canada is an unusual country, you know, and the ribbon, the ribbon or the rope, if you wish, that really joined us initially was the railroad. I mean, we had troubles then. You know, how are we going to get these provinces to come on board? Canada is an, an, an unnatural federation in that sense. It's like an east-west crossing all these geographical boundaries and so on. You know, <clears throat> so the question is what links us? And I think today we're linked by lots of things. And the, the idea of a province like, like Alberta getting upset, I certainly understand. I think Trudeau's made some wrong moves. 
and uh, so is British Columbia, and I think it's eventually going to be negotiated and resolved. Well, I hope so, and we're not just talking about the province of Alberta. You know, there's a, there's just a Western sense, and I guess Reed uh, polling showed this. There's a Western dissatisfaction with the way, Western provinces' dissatisfaction with the way things are going in this country. That's right. And, uh, and that's not going to go away without properly being addressed. And the question is which federal government or which federal party is going to be able to do that. And I want to get to that in just a second with you, but I also want, uh, I want to ask you about the issue of the carbon tax, because if there's any, if there's one issue that immediately springs to people's minds and springs to people's lips, regardless of where you are, regardless of which side of the uh, of the debate you're on, carbon tax is something that people are going to talk about. Yeah. What's your what's your sense of the tax, the correctness, or the correctness of the provinces to say, particularly those obviously the provinces that are governed by conservative premiers, uh, saying, "Hey, we're going to go to court. You don't have the right to do this, and it's our provincial right to do that to uh, to, to, to to oppose you." Well, I hope your listeners don't fall over when I say this, but I think the whole thing surrounding the idea that carbon is some kind of terrible uh, gas that's ruining uh, the world is is a boondoggle. What, may, what, would, what would make you think my listeners would fall over? <laughs> well, maybe they won't. What makes but, you think that, Bill? But because most people, <laughs> when you most people, when you tell them that carbon's actually a friendly nutrient, and we need more of it, Bill, not, not less. Bill, you got to start listening to the show more. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I I'm going to advertise for a moment. I just published a major piece in the Epoch Times newspaper. Uh, which publishes in about 35 different countries and 23 different languages. And the piece was on the, the piece was called Climate Change Confusion. What are we to think? And it got a lot of play in the U.S. and some in Canada. And uh, the, one, of the, one of the themes underlying the article was that, you know, the whole carbon story right. is a boondoggle. And so for me, when I open the newspaper, I mean, I start to yawn when I read about people fighting over carbon. I, I, I think a lot of uh, very good scientists are correct with the notion that we're, in fact, probably carbon-starved and not the other way around. Well, we certainly heard that uh, the anti-carbon tax position, and I'm not a fan, not in favor at all of the carbon tax, and we've spoken with, actually we spoke with Brad uh, Wall when he was the premier of Saskatchewan, spent yeah. quite a bit of time with Scott Moe, the current premier. And uh, and 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 we, uh, you know, Brian Pallister, uh, and as I said earlier, the premier of yeah. of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs. There's no there's no lack of challenge for this for this carbon tax notion, and the way it's being sold, that it's really going to save Canada from uh, ecological or environmental disaster is just it's just so far over the top. Well, the the thing that shocks most people is who are frightened about climate. You know, the uh, Ocasio Cortez type individual in the states. Uh, I, I think one of our good friends in Canada, God Sad, calls her occasional cortex. <laughs> At any rate, <laughs> you know, all this talk about the world ending in two years, in 12 years. I think it was 10, yeah. I think she's getting a 10 now. That sort of thing is, is just so out to lunch. <clears throat> and um, uh, what explains the, the human hysteria surrounding I don't know. I mean, I'm all for a clean planet. I think. Of course, who isn't? are somehow dirtier than they should be, and they leave garbage all over the place. And this plastic thing is something that really has to be addressed. You know, plastics all over the oceans and microplastics in our food and and, and, and in animals and all that kind of stuff. You know, just because because somebody doesn't agree with the carbon tax or doesn't agree with Catherine McKenna doesn't mean we don't care about the the state of the planet or the state of our country, the state of of our streets. That's right. No, but it's even more perverse because I think there are serious scientists around. I mean, I know who they are. I, I talked about it in the article. I just uh, 
uh, uh, told you about, who believe we are carbon-starved. We need more carbon. Uh, and so the whole idea that our, our entire society is bending itself out of shape to tax carbon uh, is wrong-headed. Clapper, who, who just got appointed to a major U.S. panel to examine all this under, under President Trump, um, there, there's good videos with him on, on YouTube where he's talking about how we're carbon-starved. I think he needs to be listened to because he's a distinguished scientist. And uh, somehow the opposite notion has spread all over the Western world, including Canada. And uh, it could be that, you know, if we actually move in that direction, we're going in, in the wrong direction. Well, there's been, uh, there's been no shortage of challenges to the carbon tax on this program. Yeah. I can assure you of that. I should mention, if your listeners are interested, uh, I've published about a dozen books in my life, and people often ask me, which one should I start with? So I thought I got to do something about this. So uh, just this year, I published a book called Disruptive Essays. The subtitle of it is, There Are No Safe Spaces in This Book. It's a selection from all those 12 books. Oh, great. Plus from some journal articles that they would never otherwise have seen. You know what? Actually, I saw something from Salim Mansour, who's a big fan of yours. Uh, uh, and uh, and he talked about that book being a must-read for everybody. Uh, disruptive you. Essays. You're a disruptive kind of guy. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'm not a contrarian. I don't argue against no, no, no. the heck of it. I, I, I think there are good arguments, good reasons to argue. No, I, absolutely. And I, rem- I was only going to say that because you were told early on in your in your young years that you were too small to be in the decathlon, and I remember that. And yeah. and you said, "Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right." And represented Canada in the decathlon in the Olympics. Yes. Uh, so the, uh, let me ask you about this divide, the great divide: why liberals and conservatives will never ever agree. Well, I'll tell you Roy, how it started. I got sick of going to parties, say, or cocktail occasions, or dinners, whatever, where I, I wanted to get to know somebody. So I'd walk over, and. Uh, you know, looking for a conversation, and I would say something that I thought was uh, indisputable. And this person looks at me and he says, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. And I say, well, it can't be true and false at the same time. One of us must be wrong, (laughs) meaning why don't we have a talk and and discuss it? And instead they walk away and they go have a drink with someone else, you know. So I thought we have to do something about this lamentable reluctance to really dig into these subjects and discuss them. So, so that's why I wrote The Great Divide, and the metaphor I give to people who want to know what it's based on is there's a guy standing in the street, and it's a beautiful day, and he sees all these lovely buildings around, and suddenly there's a big gash opens in the road, and the buildings start crumbling and falling down. He says, oh my gosh, it's an earthquake. But of course, it's not the earthquake. The real earthquake is invisible. It's the grinding of the geological forces beneath the ground. What he's seeing is the consequences of the earthquake, all the rubble, and so on. Right, right. So the parallel for this book is that there are ideological forces that we can't see, that most people are not aware of, which are operating in our country and are invisible. And what they're seeing is the political and moral rubble at the surface. So the object of the Great Divide was to make clear to them what the real ideological forces are at work in this country and why liberals and conservatives will never, ever agree. I'll just give you a a, a quick example of a couple of the themes. For example, a typical liberal today on the question of human nature believes that human nature is malleable, that it can be changed. Not only that, but that it ought to be changed by law and policy. And um, (laughs) and the typical conservative will say, no, it's not true. Ever since forever, human nature has been pretty much the same. That's what I tell you. It's universal. It may be imperfect, 
but we have to adapt the laws to human nature, not try to change human nature by law. Exactly. Now, these are these are irresolvable uh, uh, matters between liberals and conservatives. You know, you can't resolve that difference. But at least you can talk about it and say, okay, I see now. I see what you mean and what we're doing. And well, what I've never understood is how can anybody have a liberal philosophy? I've never understood that. Yeah, well, they just don't <laughs> don't think about it, yeah. I so, know, I know. They're saying the same thing about me, I know. Yeah. By the way, in The Great Divide, I mean, there's 14 chapters, and this is the first book I think anyone will ever see in which at the end of every chapter there's a kind of table comparing liberal to conservative views on a whole bunch of items. So you actually get to see yourself, <laughs> or ask yourself who you really are. Maybe the subtitle that should have been find out how liberal or conservative you really are. That's a really great idea, you know, that, that give you so you can actually see it yeah. right in front of you. Right in front of you. Who you are and what you are. How 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 do you see in the minute or so we have left? How do you see this election campaign uh, developing uh, heading toward October the 21st? How nasty is how much people remember of the gaffes that Trudeau has made and how slick the guy. The guy's very slick. You know, he's, he's, got a, he's got the gift of the gab, and he's very slick. He's a nice-looking man and all the rest of it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he, he doesn't measure up to his father, that's for sure. And, uh, he, you know, he's basically a drama teacher. And so for him, everything is a drama. Everything is like he's on stage, mm-hmm. and he's sort of leading the, leading the actors around by the nose. Um, I think his policies have been disastrous. I think he's focused on all sorts of things which uh, right. he ought to be defeated on. And I hope he's defeated. And uh, well, we'll see how he manages. Okay. Pray. I mean, uh, Bill, I've got to, I didn't keep my eye on the clock. I've got to run. But I thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be an interesting time heading toward October 21. And I'd like to have you back. Thanks, Roy. Take care. Thanks, Bill. Bye. WilliamGardner.ca is the website. WilliamGardner.ca. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.